Good morning. morning. I don't know if you remember me or not. (laughs) My name name is Don. So I hear you um, get a new pastor. That's awesome. That was easy. (laughs) I'm so proud of you as a church for weathering through that transition time, that's always interesting. I'm so proud of the staff, how they kept everybody together and doing the ministry of their life. And um, I just wish God's blessing on you in this new season. I'm cheering for you as always. I love this church. Love uh, that you let me come and, and help fill in on the, on the, on the team of, of those who present the God's word. And Cindy and Charlton, cheering for you. So excited to have you here. God bless you. His favor be on you. I'm so excited that you, that you answered the call to, of God on your life to ministry and, and to, to come serve here as well. And, and um, just, just may you know his presence every step of the way. So today we're looking at the question, of did, did Jesus really die? The answer is yes. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> so yes, but the, the, real, the real question is, so what? Well, yeah, he, everybody dies. In fact, and there are people that give their life up for causes. So what? Today I want us to look, it's interesting on Palm Sunday that we go back to a, a book, a prophecy, 700 years before the coming of Christ to talk about Christ's coming. book of Isaiah. Isaiah is an interesting book in that it is the most quoted Old Testament book in, all the New, in the New Testament. Like 85 times they quote Isaiah. Some scholars have referred to Isaiah as the fifth gospel. That's how much it talks about Jesus and that's how much it points to Jesus. So we're going to look, as we go through the journal, we're on the Isaiah 53 which is like Mount Everest in Isaiah of, of, the, of the Messianic prophecy. But um, so I'm, we're going to look at Isaiah 53 in, in your journal. But before you do that, I want to start way back in the sixth chapter of Isaiah with you and kind of catch a glimpse of what, what's going on in Isaiah's mind that, that brings us to the hilltop and the peak of, of Isaiah 53. Isaiah 6.1. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two, they covered their faces, and two, they covered their feet, and with two, they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. 
And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from, with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. In the... In the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. An amazing experience. And he he ushers us into this incomprehensible, great, almighty, holy view of, of God. That's so easy to lose sight of in our culture. The year King Uzziah died. Uzziah was like the king for 52 years. I mean, we're used to a president who serves four, maybe eight years. We uh, didn't get a new one. Uzziah was there for 52 years, pretty much a good king. He had some, some issues, but pretty much a good king. So the, the only king some people ever knew. And he's gone, and he leaves a void, and there's a vacuum and people are wondering what's going on. And Isaiah, who's a prophet, is kind of wondering what's going on. But it's, it's in the context of that, of losing the king, that he looks up and he sees the Lord, the true king, seated on the throne, high and lifted up. It's like God saying, hey, I've not gone anywhere. I'm still here. I'm in control. Kings and queens can come and go, and presidents can come and go, and prime ministers and leaders of all kinds, they come and go all the time, but here I am, I'm enthroned, I'm exalted, I'm lifted up, and you are going to catch a glimpse of who I am, Isaiah, in a way that you've never, ever imagined. And these seraphs, literally burning angels are flying around him burning with passion of of worship and praise for the glory of God. And as they're flying around, every lap they make around God, they are are just shouting out, singing out at the top of their lungs. One little song, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Holy is the only name we can think of when we, we think of this God. And they go around, I mean, did we have a great worship service this, this, this morning? I mean, the worship team was on fire, and we joined not only together as a church, but we joined with the angels of the heaven. We joined with the seraphs who are still going around God. Holy, holy, holy. We're all pumped up. I love that singing. We're going to leave and go to lunch. <laughs> and then we're going to go to bed tonight, and we're going to put our head on the pillow and go to sleep. And the seraphs will still be surrounding him, singing, holy, holy, holy. Let's take another lap around. And every time they go around God, they see something new, something that just makes them 
open their mouth up and go, can you believe God? And for eternity, they're seeing something. This God is so big, so holy, so great, so unbelievable. I can't stop singing. There. So we just keep going round and round and round. The Lord God Almighty. He's a mighty God. He's an he's a, he's a unbelievable, incomprehensible God. What that means by the word holy, it's an interesting term that, that basically just says he's, he's completely other. There's no one like him. He's, he's, he's different than what we know, than what anyone knows. He's, he's holy. He's set apart. And, and he's holy. He's, he's perfect, period. He is without error. He never has a bad day. He never has... Bad words, he doesn't have a bad attitude or bad motivation or bad deeds. He's perfect, perfect in righteousness. And there's no one his equal, not one. We could throw all kinds of gods up the gear and idols and all kinds. They don't match up. There's no one like him. We like to try to get on an even thing with him, you know, and give our thoughts and our theology and our ideas and our experience. And, all, and, and Isaiah basically says, let me just remind you of this. His ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. He's holy. There's, there's no one his equal. And that continues on. The, not, only is he, not only holy, holy Lord of God Almighty, but the whole earth is full of his glory, the whole earth, all the trees, the seas, the oceans, the, the deserts, the mountains, spring forth the glory of God, the stars and sky, the glory of God is being declared all the time. In, in, the, in the 40th chapter of Isaiah, the question is asked, who, who can I compare God, God says, God's asking the question, who, who will you compare with me? Who's my equal? And he says about himself that he brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them by name. The starry hosts, the stars. In our galaxy, was there like a, a billion stars? And we're just a small little galaxy and multitudes of galaxies with billions and billions. Remember Carl Sagan? Billions and billions of stars. And not only does he hang them, he knows them by name. Not only did he create them, he named them. I can't even keep my grandkids' name straight. <laughs> and he, he named Earth Bill. There's Maria, there's XJ519 or what do you know, RLMG, whatever. I don't know how he named them. I, I like to think that maybe in a galaxy far, far away, off in the distance somewhere, there might be just kind of a tiny little star named Don. <laughs> I don't know how he names them. I'm just, I'm just aghast that he's that mighty. He's even sovereign, not only of nature, but of, of, of leaders. 
of nations. In Isaiah, he, there's more than one time when they're being surrounded and attacked in the northern kingdom, and, and the Assyrians at one time are coming around them, surrounds Jerusalem. And there's like 200,000 troops. They're about to lay siege on this place, and, and the Isaiah keeps saying, hey, trust God, trust God, trust God, trust God. Just trust God. You can trust. He's going to be. And they're going, whoa, this is not looking good, but we know what they did. This is the southern kingdom. We, we know what they did to the northern kingdom. Here in the southern kingdom, they're going to do the same thing to us. And just trust God. And then the commander of the Assyrian army comes out and starts mocking God. Who's this God? He's good grief that you think, you think your God's going to save you from, from this? And God answers. God answers the commander and says a big, long thing. But what I love is he says this. I could put a hook in your nose and a bit in your mouth and lead you anywhere I want you to. I'll take you anywhere you want. By the end of the day, the deaf angel visited. And that 185,000 troops were decimated. And God was still on the throne. He'll always be on the throne. He holds the nations in his hands, he holds Israel, he holds Egypt, he holds Babylon, he holds Persia, he holds, he holds them all in his hand. And he is on the throne. Doesn't that kind of give you comfort for today's world? Vladimir Putin is not the king of the world, nor is Zelensky, nor is Xi of China or Kim of North Korea. Even Boris Johnson of the UK is not king. Or Trudeau. Or Joe Biden. None of them are king of the world. They'll come, they'll go. God remains of the nations, the most powerful, on his throne, reigning and ruling this universe. No one like him. We celebrate Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday was the day when they, people finally started to connect that this one who comes in the name of the Lord, this, this Jesus, is actually connected to this God we've heard so much about, this holy, this mighty God. He's, he's somebody. We need to make him king. And as he comes through the, the streets of Jerusalem, it's Hosanna, Hosanna. All hail King Jesus. Blessed is he. Save us. Save us from our, our, our condition. Please, Jesus, take the throne of Israel. Lead us into this, this, this condition that we've never, we, we need a leader so bad. The only thing that can save us, Jesus, is if you become king, Hosanna, Hosanna. They recognize who he is and what he's all about. And Jesus said, well, I'm all about saving you. And you're going to watch a path in this thing that you will call Holy Week one day. But I've got a better idea to save you. Before, there'll be a time I come back and take the throne. But until then, this needs to happen first. This is my mission. Instead of the path leading to the palace, the path leads to a hill. Instead of the path leading to a throne, the path leads to the cross. And there on that cross, Jesus died to accomplish what only he could accomplish. 
He's a mighty God. Isaiah sees this God high and lifted up on his throne. And here's his response. Woe is me, I'm ruined. You would think he'd be more like us where we go, wow. Holy God, almighty God, on his throne. Wow. Here's what he does. I'm toast. <laughs> if that's God, and I, I, I finally see him face to face, I don't measure up. I have unclean lips. Everyone around me, all my people, the unclean lips. One version says, I'm doomed. We have a hard time understanding that. And in fact, in today's world, um, we don't even like to talk about this thing called sin. For me to say, hey, we are sinful people. Oh, be quiet. You don't want to scare everybody off. We had had a good Easter, but Don scared everybody off because he, he started talking about them being sinners. And so, so here, here, let me scare you all. I'm going to throw this all out there, and Charlton can clean up the mess later. <laughs> We're all sinners. Paul says we have all sinned, and we fall short of what? The glory of God. The almighty, powerful God. It's too big of a gap. I don't care how good you are, how hard you try, we fall short. We like to think we're pretty good people because at least we're not as bad as so-and-so. Don't look at him now. You know, I'm not as bad as him or I'm not as bad as her. I'm a little better than them. I'm not quite Billy Graham and Mother Teresa, but at least I'm not Charles Manson and Adolf Hitler, somewhere in between there, you know, so I'm kind of good. A number of years ago, there's a guy named Ray Comfort, and he'd go around. He got a lot of criticism, but he'd go around with evangelism, and he would uh, use the Ten Commandments to lead people to the Lord. And uh, he'd walk up to somebody and say, hey, are you a good person? And they'd say, well, yeah, absolutely, I'm a good person. And he'd say, well, let me ask you something. Have you ever lied? The person would go, well, yeah, yeah, lied. You know what they call people who lie? Liars. Have you ever stolen anything? Even something, just a little, little bitty thing? Ever stolen anything? Yeah. Yeah. You know what they call people who steal things? Thieves. Have you ever taken the name of God in vain? Mm. Do you know that in the Old Testament, just to mention the name of God was blasphemy? Punishable by death? And have you ever just kind of blurted out the name of God in vain? It's called blasphemy. Have you ever committed adultery? But before you answer, Jesus said, even one who lusts after another has committed adultery in their heart. You know what they call people like that? Adulterers. So I don't want to judge you, he would say. I don't want to judge you, but you've just admitted to me you're a lying, thieving, blaspheming adulterer. <laughs> and you're going to face the holy 
mighty God. And he's going to look at you. And if he just judged you on the Ten Commandments, we just mentioned four of them. Most of you can't even recite anymore. I got the big ones in there. You just mentioned four of them. Four. And his standard is perfect because he's holy. So are you innocent or guilty? And people usually kind of, well, guilty. And I love this. He looks right at me and goes, does that concern you? Isaiah sees a holy God. Isaiah is mindful that he falls short of this holy God. And he says, woe is me. I'm ruined. I'm done. So the holiness of God is very clear in Isaiah, but it doesn't stop there because, and he starts to write about it a little bit later on about the, the riches of his mercy. That God actually, for some reason, wants to have relationship with us. But because of his holiness, he can't look upon sin. But he's rich in mercy. He's full of love, everlasting love, Jeremiah says. Love that doesn't let us go. Love that is so strong. And so that love, he wants to pour out to us. And he figures out a remedy. And that's as we start to flip over to the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. We start to see the remedy that he has for us that finds itself in, a, in this servant of the Lord, which is kind of interesting because when, when Isaiah's got this view of God, an angel comes in his woefulness of sin, takes a hot burning coal off the altar. What is the altar? The altar is the place they sacrifice lambs. From the sacrificial lamb, he takes a burning coal and he applies it to the lips of, of Isaiah and his lips are cleaned and he's clear and he's atoned and he's forgiven. And you would think as he writes this, he would start to write, hey, God has this angel and maybe this angel will come and with his you know, hot coal and you so charcoal a lot because you never know. You know and and he, doesn't, he just says, no, let me introduce you to the servant of the Lord. And there's four songs, four servant songs in Isaiah, all messianic pointers. That the servant of the Lord is going to come. He's going to be the Messiah. And he has a job to do and a mission to do. And he, he sings out each, each song growing in dimension and growing in significance. And you get to that fourth song, which is basically the 53rd chapter. It starts the last part of 52. And it's, it's like this Mount Everest of of, of prophecy. It's, it's what, it's the chapter that Philip, when he was uh, in, in Acts 8, he was on a, on a, on a trip and he stops, and he sees an Ethiopian eunuch and he starts to share the gospel and he uses Isaiah 53 to lead this guy to faith in Jesus. That's how powerful this song is. And the, the highlight is what's in your journal, verse 4. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. 
Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, that punishment was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This 53rd chapter is called by some scholars, the torture chamber for rabbis. It points so significantly to Jesus and so straightforward that it, it just tortures them to try to have to figure out what to say it and what to do with it. This messianic prophecy is Jesus. And, and here's a holy God who can't view sin and, and frankly, hates sin. He, he detests sin. He judges sin. He has every right to do whatever he wants to get rid of sin and anything it's attached to. But he has the richness of his mercy that supersedes his judgment for a time and says, I love these people so much. I created them out of love. I created them for fellowship. I want to have relationship with them. And you have this holiness of God and this mercy of God meeting together at the cross. It's the only place where his holiness can be satisfied and his mercy can be satisfied. And it's satisfied through his own son, not an angel, not just a servant of the Lord, but the New Testament with eyes wide open go, oh my goodness, this guy they're talking about, it's the son of God. He is doing this to his own son, taking up our infirmities, taking our sorrows, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, that's his son. In the Old Testament, they would have the Day of Atonement once a year and they'd bring a goat up and they'd pray on that goat and put all their, confess all their sins and all their sorrows and all their confessions on that and then they would send that goat outside the city, the city walls and that, that goat would never be seen again as to, to look at how God deals with our sin. They had to do that year after year after year after year. But now, now, here comes one who takes up our infirmities carries our sorrows. We thought he's punishing Jesus, but uh -uh. he was pierced for our transgressions. He was pierced for our iniquities, crushed for our iniquities. That means Jesus took upon himself what we deserve for our sin in order that we might receive what he deserved as a free gift. He took all the sins ever committed by all the people of all the world for all time and paid the price that we might have the righteousness of God. I want you to think of it <clears throat> this way, if you will. If I'm, if I'm here 
and God is up here. He wants to have relationship with me. I, I, it's hard to understand, but he, he actually loves me, and he, he wants and I, I want to know God, and I want relationship with him. But there's one problem. If this book were not a Bible, but it was a record of my sin, be thicker than this, actually. But it, it's, it's on me. And so God looks at me, and he detests the sin that he sees, and I look up at him, and I try to get to him, but I can't. I just can't, I can't get through to him for some reason. And the Bible says, he, he hates my sin, but oh, he loves me. His richness and mercy, he loves me so much. And so he remedies that. I'll know, I know what I'll do. I'll send my son to the cross. And in this world, on the cross, the Bible says, he lays upon him, Jesus, the iniquities of us all. All the iniquities. When it's like this, I'm like all the other sheep. I want to go astray. I want to do my own thing. I think I know best. I, I'm, a, I'm just astray. And, and, no, and then all of a sudden he just goes, here, let me just lay all the iniquities on Jesus. And all of a sudden, my eyes and my spirit get huge. This is a whole new world. I'm free. I'm forgiven. My sins are atoned for. I can get straight to God. I don't have to go to a priest. I don't have to jump through any hoops. I just go wholly, boldly into the very throne of God. And I say, hey, I'm the one. I just want to talk for a little bit. Just want to, just want to talk for a little bit. And there's this, there's this communication and this relationship and God's saying, oh man, I tell you what, it's not about lists. It's not about keeping that list and that list and do's and don'ts. It's not about religion. It's not about all your rituals. It's not how many times you go to church or how many times you miss church or how hard you try. It's not how much you deserve it. I took all that, all that nasty sin. Is it important to me? Is it, is it, does it, is it, is it a big deal with sin? Yeah, because the remedy is a big deal, if you noticed. I took all that, put it on my son. He paid the price so that we can have fellowship. So that we can talk. So that I can be in your life. Here's something even better, I think. It's not just I gave my sin to Jesus. He exchanges. He doesn't exchange. It's the greatest exchange. He takes his righteousness and gives to me. Paul talks about being clothed in Christ. He clothes me in his righteousness so that when I do, like Isaiah, see the Lord and I'm wondering about judgment and I'm wondering about how that's gonna go and I've got all these skeletons in my past and I've got, oh no, if God remembers, I hope he doesn't remember this, I hope he doesn't know about that and I hope he didn't see that. And, oh, and we go and we face God and he looks at us and he goes, Whoa, what seems to be the problem? I look at you and all I see is righteousness. All I see is, is the righteousness of Jesus. You must know my son. Come on in. There's no condemnation for you. Clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And the greatest thing is there's nothing we can do to, to earn this. There's nothing we do to deserve it. Not one of us. It's a gift. It's grace. 
How do you receive a gift? Well, you, you got to receive it. If you want to give a gift and nobody wants to take it, it's not a gift. But if you receive it, how do you receive it? Through faith. I admit I need him. I'm, I need a savior. I'm, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm ruined. I'm doomed. And I need, I need a savior. So I believe that you did what you did for me. I believe Jesus is the son of God. He died on the cross. I confess my need for him. I confess my sins. Acts says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Jesus died. So what? Tell you what, your past has changed. Your past. Remember some of those movies where if they could just go in the past, they could change the future? Your future is going to be different because your past has changed. The payment for your sin, the payment for your past, it's gone. It's gone. Your future has changed. Your destiny has changed. Life will never be the same. On the cross, in Jesus, the Bible says all the promises of God, all the promises you can read in this book, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. And you're now, you're now clothed with Christ. Your future is different because the promises of God are yours. I love the quote that says, God didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And that, that's worth celebrating because that life starts today, it starts now, it starts the moment you ask Jesus in your life and it goes on and on and on into eternity where it never, ever will end. And the promises of God just become greater, stronger, truer, purer. And then it changes your present. <laughs> it changes your present. God di didn't send Jesus to the cross just to deliver you from something or to, to allow you to, to go to something, but also for something. Until that day when he comes again or you meet him in heaven, until that day, you're here for a reason. You're here for a purpose. God has something for you. Isaiah, after he sees the holiness of God and he sees that he's undone before God, but he receives the atoning forgiveness from the, from the altar of God, from, the, from the, the slain lamb that the angel brings. God says, okay, I'm looking for someone to send. Who, who, who shall I send? Isaiah said, well, here, here am I. I'm here. Send me. God uses him to be one of the greatest prophets to ever, ever, ever walk the face of the earth. Here am I. And he wants you. Mountain Park, you're entering a new season with a new pastor who hopefully won't be as long-winded as me. I know I'm getting late. But, oh, man, all that you're about, God's story, 
finding your role in God's story. He's got a purpose for you individually and as a church. You have a wonderful history. You have a wonderful legacy. You have a wonderful group of leaders and pastors that have gone before you. Wonderful group of people. But this is a new season now. The story hasn't changed. The mission hasn't changed. But it's going to be it's going to be expanded in a way that perhaps it's never had before. That God has significantly and strategically placed you here in this church, in this corner in the valley, and, and brought a brand new lead pastor to you because you have a purpose. And he's calling you. Love like Jesus. Serve like Jesus. Impact this valley for Jesus. Be salt. Be light. Shine bright. What's our response? Here I am. Send me. Send me. You get enough people doing that? Charlton could come up here and lay an egg every week. And you'll make an impact on the Lord. We're going to close with another song here. Before we do, let me just ask you this. If you're here today and you identify with, with Isaiah, woe is me. I'm ruined. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus in your life. Maybe you have, but you've just you've gone your own path. You've gone your own way like the, the sheep that he's talking about. Maybe you're here and, and it's like, I was doing so well, and then I got waylaid. You know, life got tough, the pandemic, and I'm off on the side of the road. And, and uh, his mercy for you is so great that he just says, will you, will you just make yourself right with me again? Well, how do I do that? Same way, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my, my shortcomings. Live with me. When he takes the sin away, he gives you the presence of his, his very son, his Holy Spirit fills you and starts to grow. And one of these days, you'll continue to grow like that Jesus as the Spirit leads you, and you'll be free, and you'll be clothed in his robes. Bow your heads with me over just a moment. If for the first time or for the umpteenth time you want to straighten things out with the Lord, I'm asking you to just take a moment and, and invite him in. You don't need any magical words. You just want your heart. You might say something like this, Lord, thank you. Thank you for being this mighty God, for the gift of creation that we get to enjoy. I just, I just realized that I fall short, so short of who you are and what you're all about. Forgive me. Come into my life. Come into my heart. Make my past different. My future different. For the present, I just want you to know, Jesus, here I am. Here I am. Send me. In his name we pray. Thank you.